You are listening to A Taste of Romumu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romumu, please visit romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. So, the Divine Mother as Nature. I'll just recap a minute of what I just said. Um, we started out talking about this divide, right, between God, the spirit essence, and body, right, earth, right, that the Bible really sees God as making earth, not being earth. And all of the stuff around the prohibition uh, on making images, right, connects to that. And there's all this legal material about uh, that seems to separate, seems to say, right, don't see God in, in, natu- in objects. Don't see God in, in natural things, right? That would not be right, right? Not in the stars, not in the trees. And then the Kabbalists come along. And for whatever reason of their own, uh, and again, this is, I'm sure, related to their mystical practice. It's not just an intellectual idea, right? I'm sure this is related to their mystical practice. They come along and they begin to talk about God in terms that suggest that God and nature are intertwined. Right? And they really imagine that in some way nature is also the radiance of God, right? is also part of God's aura or even part of God's body. Um, while they manage to maintain this notion of God's transcendence. Right, that God is the uh, right, that God is the infinite. God is beyond knowing. God is in this place of complete oneness and, and um, indivisibility. And yet, as God trickles down into our universe, God somehow manages to become, you know, Jane and Arthur, you know, Maurice and Judith, you know, uh, and you know, divides into other entities. Um, and the Zohar. Um, partly hints at this by talking about physical things below as having resonance in the upper realms. So that the moon in our world, right, is a reminder or a resonance of the moon with a capital M, right, which is the Shekhinah, right, or the, you know, the, uh, the sky in our world, right, is also connected to Shemayim, right, which is Tiferet, right, which is the Holy One of Blessing, in um, you know in the upper worlds, so they're being very consistent. We've already talked about this principle in their notion of as above, so below. Right, that there's um, right that everything that's above everything, and by above they mean transcendence. Right, everything above has its counterpart below. Anything that happens below has its echo above. So they don't quite go back to the idea of nature as deity, not exactly. But they connect natural phenomena to divine uh, attributes and personalities, um, you know, which you would think would be a no-no. But somehow the Kabbalah manages to decide that that's okay, you know, as long as they are maintaining some sort of, you know, as long as they are basically, they're not going out. Although, you know, with the sanctification of the moon ritual, you really do go out and you know sing at the moon. You know, they're not going out and bowing down to trees, but at the same time, when they go into an apple orchard, you know, what are they seeing? They're seeing the Shekhinah. You know, they, you know, when they call the Shekhinah the holy apple orchard, that doesn't only go one way. 
it doesn't just mean, right, that when I'm in my meditative visual trance, I see the Shekhinah as an apple orchard, but that when I'm in an apple orchard, I see the Shekhinah, right? So that's, um, you know, and, and anyone who's sort of had that experience of merging with nature you know, can feel that. Um, another uh, metaphor they use a lot is the river, Right? They see the flow of divine energy as a river. So they're connected a lot to this idea of water. The Zohar actually talks about the, first, about the four elements. It's like the first Jewish text in a really long time to take the four elements seriously. So the Zohar actually assigns elements to the different uh, spherot. Right? Shekhinah, of course, is earth. Um, the uh, Tiferet is air, wind, you know, which is like, um, you know, which is like sky. Chesed, loving kindness, which is you know one of the two important principles by which the universe operates, is um, water. Of course, right? It's mm -hmm. flowing. It's giving. It's necessary for life, which makes givura fire, right? Mm -hmm. So fire is that which destroys, right? Mm -hmm. Fire is that which uh, mm -hmm. you know uh, which you have to stay away from. Mm -hmm. But it melts things too. Sure. Well, givura was also necessary. Right, it wasn't like they, you know, they thought you could manage without givura. Right. So they, uh, so they're using this language, which really is, um, you know, Maimonides goes out of his way to say there are four elements and they're not alive. <laughs> he says it like three times. They're not alive. Don't talk to them. Don't pray to them. Don't think about them like that. You know, <laughs> he gets really, you know, exercised about it. Um, clearly, there were people in his time who were working with the elements as as, you know, entities, and he didn't want them to do that. But the Zohar really does do that. You know, they really imagine the elements as manifestations of the divine. Um, so um, here I include this quote about uh, six, uh, this is the third quote of the, after the divine mother is nature. Does anybody want to read this, actually? I'm not letting people read today. This one? I yeah. God? Six great limbs. Six great limbs were engraved from which everything emerged. From them, six springs oh, and rivers. Sorry, somebody is knocking. Do you think yes. that somebody might go let them in? Yeah. Side door. Side door. Arthur, I think Where they're at the, the side door. Where's the side door? It's through that right, door right, right there. there. Right through there. that door. You've gone right. out that door. By the way, we have to go out that door tonight. Yes, yes. Okay. we will. Okay, would you start over? I'm sorry. Six great limbs were engraved from which everything emerged. From them, six springs and rivers were fashioned to flow into the great sea, Shekinah. Okay. What is the, who was the limb? Okay, so anybody, all right, so if we've done a, we've done a little bit of work on the sphere road, who are the six great limbs? Oh. It would have to be the six above the Shekinah, so Chesed, Gavur, Tiferet, Netzach, Exactly. Those are the six is it also... Uh, all the four elements and up and down? Um, so, the answer, Judith, is yes and no. Let me explain. I think I told you earlier in class that, hi, that in the Sefer Yetzirah, the Sefirot are not chesed, which is an earlier mystical book. It's like from the 3rd century instead of the 12th century. In the Sefer Yetzirah, the Sefirot already exist, but they're not chesed and givur and tiferet. They are north, south, east, west, up, down, past, future, good, evil. Okay? 
So the Sfirot, in the earliest Jewish mysticism, not the earliest, but in an early version of Jewish mysticism, are actually the dimensions of the physical universe. So you're already getting the sense, right, in Sefer Yetzirah, that the Sfirot are what defines nature, but they're also part of God. So you're beginning to have the sense of God being not just the creator of, but really invested in the substance of the world. In Sefer Yetzirah, it's not clear whether the Sfirot are part of God or sort of made by God, but they talk about them as sort of vectors that come from God. So you know, I get the sense that they're part of God. And you may have also heard me say that early Jewish mysticism is very architectural. Like there's a lot of meditation that it's almost like you're making a building. You know, so you're like you're sitting and you're imagining right up, down, north, south, east, west. You're kind of making this structure around you. So remember the weeping Shekhinah and the loss of the temple? So if you lose your temple, right, what do you do? You find a temple that nobody can take away. Right, we talked about that. So early Jewish mysticism is actually about finding the inner temple. But finding the inner temple also means finding the earth as temple. Right, that wherever you are, right, you're in sacred art, you're in sacred space. Mm -hmm. So the answer is, according to very early, early Kabbalah, yes. According to later Kabbalah, not really. Um, um, Tifer, uh, the, the six Sfirot that uh, Karen just mentioned don't really correspond to the to the elements and directions, um, but they kind of do because they, the the um, Zohar, anyway, later commentaries on the Zohar go on map the six Sfirot of uh, you know of the Zohar against the the six directions. Um, so yes and no. How Native American too. Well, it's common, right? Any culture that yeah. grows up on the land, right, is concerned with these matters, right, with what things are made of, and you know, and with building, you know, a sacred container of space. Um, so absolutely. So the Zohar really goes back to this, and it's very interesting, you know, how come? But it, it's probably, it's also, uh, it also comes from the seed of the loss of the temple. Because right? for the Zohar, the Shekhinah is the temple. Right? And therefore, the earth is the temple. Mm -hmm. Because she's also the earth. Right? You know, what I'm wondering is, I mean, if, if we are to think that, that, that events are meant to happen, you know, that, that I'm wondering if the loss of the temple is to, in some way, remind us that there is a, there is a lack of physicalness about worship and, and understanding of our place in relationship to God to, to, to get to that place, to get back to that place on a deeper level. Hmm. Well, Maimonides would have agreed with you. Um, he thought that the loss of the temple, he wouldn't quite say it this way, but he thought it was a good thing. Um, because it inspired more transcendent forms of worship. Um, I see it pretty much as a trauma. I think, I mean, in some ways it became the genius of the Jewish people, was how are we going to survive this, you know, this, you know, destroying of our culture, and they did. And, but, you know, in some ways this is what we lost. You know, we lost, um, you know, a strong connection to the land. Um, and for whatever reason, Jewish mystics are like, well, let's 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 re let let's let's figure that back out. Um, and 
I just included one more, and so the six limbs, right, we're talking about the six great limbs. So they are the rivers, right, they're all, each, each sphira is considered like a spring, and they all flow down into the Shekhinah. All divine energy flows down the tree of life, right, so the Shekhinah is also called the Yama, right, the great sea. Um, and then there is this thing, there is this flow that goes back, right, there, are, there is this energy that is sent back up the tree, so there's a kind of ecosystem, um, but she is considered the, the pool, right, that all the energies flow into her, right, in fact, the Zohar says she doesn't have any energy of her own, she's the spirit that doesn't have any energy of her own, she just collects what's already there, she's a receptacle, so, you know, that's, you know, that's coming from the, you know, that's coming from the projection onto the feminine, um, but there's a way that I could work with that image, you know, that there's a sense of the, you know, of the, that she's the vat, you know, she's the cauldron, you know, within which all these energies actually make something happen. You know, it's the place of uh, where things become physical, things become real. So there's something powerful about that. And isn't there a lot of also association with it being a vessel and the Shekhinah as a vessel, as that contain, as a holy container? Absolutely, absolutely. <coughs> Right, Gesundheit. So she is really, in some ways, all the containers of the Jewish people. She is the temple. She is the Torah. She is Shabbat. You know, like all of those things that are fundamental structures of Jewish life, right? Get it, she's the community also, right? Get identified with the Shrina. So I think absolutely, she's the she's the container with a capital C. You know, she does. You know, she does all of that containing work. Um, and. Um, And this is why they go about recreating rituals like going out into the fields to welcome Shabbat, right? Is that they're, they're beginning to enact, in the, or, or the Shubh Shabbat Seder, where you're eating things that represent the four worlds, right? That's what we're doing now. That's what's happening in our life or in uh, historically. Well, I'm saying that this is why the Kabbalists began doing it, okay. right? But a lot of the rituals that the Kabbalists innovated that we still do... Right, are meant to invite us to see the spiritual and the physical world is connected in this way. Right, that the whole idea of Tubishvat is that you're eating these fruits, you're not just eating them because they taste good or to celebrate the land of Israel, right, or even, you know, to save the planet. You know, the, the Kabbalists understood that practice is you are releasing the divine energy in those fruits. Right, you're communing with the God in the fruit, right, and you're releasing the divine sparks so that they can go to the right place. Right, where if you eat them unconsciously, the sparks will go to the wrong place, and then somebody else will have to figure it out. You know, it's um, you know, um, you know, they they put a very high premium on doing things with tremendous God consciousness, so that you know their actions would you know would would contribute to the Shekhinah coming out of exile. Um, so eating was part of that. I have a question. I don't know whether I've been struggling with this for weeks because David had talked about drinking the wine on Shabbos mm-hmm. that it brings the Shekhinah through Deborah to Teferit. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking now maybe it's the sense of Shekhinah being almost unformed nature, going through the strictness of sort of becoming manifest enough to mate with Teferit. I don't know. I don't know. How to... They didn't really think of nature as unformed. They mm-hmm. actually thought of nature as hyperformed. Mm-hmm. Right? Nature was, it was actually nature's problem was that it was in a form, right? That also means being in exile for them, right? So, um, you know, nature was precious because of its form, but it was also problematic because of its form. 
So I'm not familiar with the particular okay. um, uh, the, uh, thing around the, the Kiddush and Givura, um, but you know they would think of the Shechina coming upward, right? She would be coming, okay. but the Bina right would come down to Tiferet, right? The the upper mother, the cosmic mother, would come down to Tiferet, right? Mm. She is the she is the nurser of Tiferet, right? She is the mother, um, and then Shechina is receives from Tiferet. Um, in fact, the Zohar says that many spherod are male in relationship to the sphere below and female in relationship to the sphere above. Because they also understood male and female as being a, uh, I don't know what to say, a, a role, not an identity. Relation, yeah. So if you're receiving from someone that makes you the female, right, and right, and them the male, and then if you turn around and give it to somebody else, then you're the male and they're the female. Um, so, you know, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of different ways we could go with that, but, but it was interesting that they did see it as somewhat functional, you know, that, uh, um, it was, it was, uh, it was an archetype for them, giving and receiving, right? Um, okay. So I want to show you, uh, something from the students of the Baal Shem Tov, um, and this is on page 80. And I want to, this is, this is on topic, but maybe slightly is going to at first not appear to be. This is about the Shechina in prayer, how to relate to the Shechina in prayer. Um, and it really, in some ways, well, I'll talk about what I, what I think we could do with this text, but I, I'd like, I'd, I'd like to just, just take a look at it. Um... So, uh, text 111, which is in the middle of page 80. Um, does somebody mind reading? Arthur. Thank you, Arthur. I heard from my teacher, Tibesht, that the Shekhinah is called prayer, as is recorded in the Kabbalistic writings regarding Psalms 109. Um, the, the, uh, let me just do the Hebrew of this, because the English won't make sense. The, the, the Hebrew is va'ani tefilati. In other words, I am my prayer. Right? Okay. There, it is also explained that when one prays, one ought to place the purpose of one's aspiration toward the needs of Shekhinah, so that she be united with her husband, and not for the sake of one's own benefit. Mm. For the verse, Lamentations, mm. says of such a one, God has delivered me into the hands of one through whom I cannot rise. Arthur, let me interrupt you for one second just to explain that. Um, in other words, if... You know what? I don't want to explain it yet. Keep going. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. And, and my teacher of everlasting blessed memory explains further that if one intends one's prayer for the sake of one's own material benefit, that one be granted one's prayer request solely for the sake of one's physical needs, such a prayer creates a separating barrier because the person is bringing the physical plane into a place of the spirit and is thus not answered at all. And the words of the wise are gracious. Okay. So I want to say that, first of all, this goes against most of Jewish tradition because there are lots of places in the liturgy where you are not only entitled to but invited to pray for your own needs. It's actually normal to pray for your needs. Um, 
So what is the best saying here? And you'll see that there's um, actually the next one we'll, we'll look at, we'll, we'll clarify it further. Um, so when he, so what, in other words, what, he, what he's saying is when you pray, you should pray for the needs of the Shekhinah, right? not for your needs. Right? And when you pray for the Shekhinah to be reunited with her husband. So what does that mean? Like what, 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 toward what goal do you direct your prayer, if that's the goal of the prayer? Yeah, Karen. It almost seems that you're praying for the Shekhinah who is going to take care of all. So you're by praying to her, you're praying for the embodiment of all that is, and therefore you're included in that. Right. That's actually similar to how I would say it. That he's saying when you pray, you have to pray for the needs of the collective, and the Shekhinah is the collective. So if you're praying for everything to be uplifted, right, which, right, when you pray for the Shekhinah to be united with her husband, it means for everything to come out of exile, right, for everything to be redeemed, that that's the goal toward which you have to direct your prayer. Right? And praying for your own specific need, right, without consciousness of the larger process that the world has to go through in order for people's needs to be met, right, is actually, at least according to the best, right, not helpful. Right? That in some ways you, you have to be plugged into um, that the, the Shekhinah, you know, the Shekhinah needs your prayer, right? Even more than you need your own needs, right? The, the, you, you are invited to direct your prayer to the, you know, to the world energy. This, this reminds me of two sort of political, you know, like there is no peace without justice and we're, no one is free unless all are free. It seems like that... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, I hope that that's what the best is saying. Um... You know, and he's also saying, um, well, I mean, at the end you have the sense of the person shouldn't bring the physical plane into the place of the spirit, which, you know, the, the Zohar, the Kabbalah does have this sort of, you know, they're, they're in some ways against the spirit, the, the physical as much as they, you know, think of the physical as important also. Um, but also, and, and the verse, God has delivered me into the hands of one through which I cannot rise, means, so if you pray and your prayer isn't sufficiently conscious, Right, then the Shekhinah can't rise through you. The Shekhinah can't be elevated through you, right? If you're not, you know, if you're not thinking of, you know, of her, right, of the larger collective when you're praying. Is the assumption here that would the Shekhinah be mm-hmm. reunited with her husband and, and you know, the sparks of divinity mm-hmm. set free? That form would literally cease to exist. Is that that would be the ultimate desire? Yeah, I th- I think that that's what the Kabbalah imagines. Is that ultimately? Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure what they think about that. It's a very good question. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, yeah, I think that they think that basically we would all collapse into bliss, you know, like, you know, if the exile were to, you know, to end, right, you know, we would all be one being, you know, we would, you know. So, so they don't see the possibility of the Shekhinah and the, the transcendent coexisting in bliss. Form needs to possibly disappear. I think they think that. Okay. I'm not totally clear on what they think the Messianic Age is, mm-hmm. but I think that's what mm-hmm. they think. Mm-hmm. I mean, they might imagine that there will still be a physical existence, but it would be totally different from the one that we now know. Mm-hmm. Because there wouldn't be division, there wouldn't be death, there wouldn't be separateness, separateness there wouldn't be conflicts of interest, right? None of those things would exist. Is this uh, cyclical in nature? I, they don't understand it as cyclical. No, I, what I mean yeah. is in terms of like the Big Bang Theory, of the, everything being here and then expanding and then the universe expands and then it collapses again and they, it, they, they right that's what I'm saying they don't they don't they understand it, only it happens once like this 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 drive towards unity uh, and formlessness that's 
understand. Yeah, I think that that's how they understand it. Although they do think that worlds were created before this one that God tinkered with and then said, no, this isn't right, and then got rid of them and then, you know, made another so this one. this is the last time? Right, yeah. Whatever this yeah. time is. is yeah, this is, this is the how big one. How could this be the last? How could there ever be an end or a beginning? Well, look, if you went back and asked Cordovero what he really thought, you know, I don't know what he would tell you. Um, but, you know, they might have said, well, we don't know what happens next, you know. You know, maybe God will think of some other purpose for the universe and, you know, try out some other experiment. I mean, we don't know. But, you know, they, they saw this as a, you know, as a, in some ways an apocalyptic process, right? Mm -hmm. That, like, it would happen and then it would be done, right? Mm -hmm. Then God, then, you know, matter, you know, separation would have ended and that's the goal and, like, you know... There you go. That's messianic traditions. And in some ways that's different, right? Although it is paralleled to, in some ways it's different from what you might call a pagan consciousness, right? In which the cycle just keeps happening, right? There is no goal to the cycle, right? The, there is a cycle of life and death and, it, and spring and, and winter and it just keeps happening, right? And the goal is to be with the cycle, right? And to, right, the, the goal is not to end the cycle, Right, the the the, the text-based religions tend, to, in any way, the monotheist religions tend to have more of a, you know, and beginning and end point. But they have both, right? They have the cyclical within that, and then they have this larger thing. So let's look at the second text, text one twelve, because I think this this will help us a little bit. Oh, I have to say one more thing, which is that. So did you get the part about the Shrina being prayer? One of her names is Tefillah, is prayer. Yeah. So the other thing they're saying is that the words that come out of your mouth are the Shekhinah. Mm -hmm. Right? That, you know, what gives you the power to pray in this way? You know, that to, you know, pray for the redemption of all things. Right? The words that come out of your mouth are an embodiment of the Shekhinah. So in some ways, right, even while they're saying, you know, stay away from the body, right, they're actually talking about an embodiment of divinity that you can you can touch through the prayer. Right? In the same way the Torah is an embodiment of the Shekhinah. But you're also praying for the Shekhinah. Yes, you're praying for the Shekhinah, but the prayer mm -hmm. that you pray for the Shekhinah is, is in the, the Shekhinah, is through the Shekhinah, you know, which is kind of wild, actually. All right, so let's read text 112. Anybody up for Liana? Thanks. I heard from my teacher, the, the best, the inner meaning of the weekday prayer, that the main point is to have faith that the entire world is filled with his blessed glory. By means of this faith, a person raises the feet of the divine presence. Also, if the person immediately with the words emerging from his or her mouth has faith that the prayer is being heard, then such a prayer is answered immediately. <laughs> Okay, keep going. And if one were to counter with the question, do we not observe that even when such a prayer is prayed, sometimes the person's request is denied? The answer is that on some hidden level, the prayer still has effect. Has a what? Has okay. effect. The person's request could have a general effect on the world, and although he or she is asking specifically that one's own pain be removed, the fact that this is not fulfilled is not for one's own. Is for one's own, sorry. The fact that this is, that this is not fulfilled is for one's own benefit. For example, to cleanse him or her from sin, and so on. 
And if the intent of the request is merely for the sake of the person's expectation expressed in it that it be granted, in such a case the person is mixing corporeality within the prayer, whereas true prayer ought to be spiritual, solely for the sake of the divine presence, and not merely for material benefit in this world. For such a soul consideration in itself creates a barrier. Whoa, the, well, so what is the difference between expectation and faith? In this, this is very... Uh... Yeah, this is hard. This is, this is actually hard. Um, and it's not necessarily like something that we want to adopt. Uh, but it, I think, does indicate the struggle they're having with body and not body, and earth and not earth. Um, so when the, um, so in other words, that um, the first thing you have to believe when you pray is that the whole world is filled with God's glory. God's glory is the Shekhinah, right? So she's everywhere and you know embodies everything. Um, and by believing this, you are already um, you're already aiding the Shekhinah, right? By believing that she is everywhere and that she's that everything is part of her, right? You're already helping her out. Um, and you should believe that any prayer that you offer is being heard, right? So you can sort of put that aside and then pray for the Shekhinah, right? You should believe that. Now, of course, the best is dealing, right, with um, the issue that sometimes we pray for things and we don't get them, right? And, you know, all, uh, all people who uh, advocate for prayer that is answered in any sort of, you know, any sort of direct way have to deal with this question, right? Because sometimes you pray for things and you don't get them. Um, so in some ways, I, you know, I, I don't like what's happening here in that they're just sort of shunting that aside and saying, well, you know, clearly if you don't get what you want, you know, you, um, you know, you just didn't need it. You know, God wants to do something else with you. Um, the Hebrew is actually a little bit better. Um, well, the Hebrew is actually much better. Hold on a second. Um, um, and if you should be surprised, halifamim shalomatsa mebukashato mebukasho that um, sometimes one doesn't get one's prayer answered. Hanyan who 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 The answer is that it, the prayer is being answered, but the answer is being hidden from that person. Lemashal shenasa bekashato beklugutolam. For example. Um, yeah, the, the translation doesn't get this at all, um, that the person's prayer is being bound up in the collective of the world. In other words, the energy of the prayer is going into the world need and not your own. Hagam shepratot humavakesh lahasir hatsa'ar. And then he says, and, uh, and you know, the, the, the practical matter of this is that um, if a person is asking that the pain be removed, um, you know, it could really be for, for that person's good that this is, a, you know, that this prayer is not answered. Um, okay, you know. Um, and, um, if the intent, right, okay, so we already read this. Um, what I really want to focus on here, I don't actually want to tell people not to pray for their physical needs, which is not something I believe. Uh, but what, I, what, I'm, what I'm fascinated by here is this idea that the energy of your prayer can go into the collective pot, mm -hmm. right? And that in some ways your prayer is supposed to be dedicated to that, above all, right? And that your own needs are part of a larger world situation and that that's what you have to be primarily thinking of when you're in prayer. Mm -hmm. 
um, and that in some and and in some ways this is a very potent view of prayer. It says that even if your prayer is not answered, right, that the energy of the prayer, like the desire of the prayer, the longing of the prayer, goes somewhere, right? It you know it manifests somehow, right? Even if it doesn't manifest in what you were hoping it would manifest in. Um, so that's why I wanted to show it to you. And I'm interested in it because it, it implies that the Shekhinah herself is a collective of this, you know, of our energies together, right? That if we're all praying for her, because really she's all of us, right? She's, she's really the ecosystem of the world, right? If you were to look at this as a, in a slightly more physical way than I think that they did, but they were really getting there. You know, this was almost a Gaia kind of concept, right? That she, if she is the energies of the earth, and she is the prayer, right? She is the teaching, and she is the people, right? Then that really is a, you know, that's very close to a, uh, you know, an organismic understanding of what spirit is, um, which I think is powerful. Please. So might she be present in the belief that if people collectively pray for someone, mm -hmm. pray for someone's health, let's say, and with a belief that there's going to be impact mm -hmm. on that person, that maybe we're not, as we learn that or we, we feel that or believe that, maybe we also might learn that Shekhinah is, she's part of that, mm -hmm. or she is that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, you know, many of us struggle a lot with the healing prayer because, you know, if it doesn't work all the time, then, you know, what is, you know, what is it? Right? What are we doing? Um, so in a way, to imagine that the Shekhinah is part of all that, is part of the suffering, is part of the illness, is part of the, is part of the healing, and that, and that, that, that prayer energy goes somewhere, mm. right, is, uh, you know, for me is powerful, you know, even if, uh, you know, it's not, um, you know, that's not the mo that's not a perfect answer, you know, but it's an answer that I find somewhat satisfying. Or that it's being answered in a way we can't. I mean, the skeptic in me wants to say, you know, well, that's just a way of saying, like, there's not an answer. But, but there are hidden processes in the world, right? There are ways that we don't understand, you know, how the world works. Um, yeah. It, it, it takes me back to the old tension that I always at some point get to, which is individual will and God's will, mm -hmm. you know, or individual will and fate, or, you know, and so how much if we pray for something... If that's not the fate or the will, you know, then mm. it, it may be acknowledged and heard, but it's not necessarily going to be acted upon. Mm. Or, or, <laughs> can the will of the people, if it is so strong, as Susan was suggesting, mm. you know, um, shake up the divine energy source right. and, and, and make that change, you know, I mean, here we are about to enter you know, Passover, so of course I'm filled with Passover. Mm -hmm. And so this idea, was it that God heard the rumbling of the people finally, you know? There may have been individual prayers that didn't go anywhere until God was waiting until, perhaps, I'm making all this up, that there was enough energy around the will of the people that God then had to answer the mm -hmm. call. Or, or, the, or that, that, that right. the will, that the energy of that desire is the will of God. Mm -hmm. In other words, that... Mm -hmm. Also, 
But that is that is what it, right. what creates right. Right. the shift. Mm-hmm. Right. In some yeah. ways, when you say the Shekhinah is the community of Israel, right, you you open the yourself to this way of thinking mm-hmm. about it, right? That that this is. I find this so important today because it feels so crucial that we understand that, that we're part of larger processes. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, that we just, we go along, you know, shoving our sandwiches in our plastic bags and, you know, and, and putting gasoline in our cars. And, and, you know, we just go along doing those things and, you know, by themselves <coughs> there's nothing wrong with that. You know, and then there's the larger picture in which, you know, we're, you know, we're literally about to wipe out half the species on the planet. And we don't see it, and it's actually because we're human beings that we don't see it. It's like, you know, we're, we're, we've evolved to look at our particular situation. We haven't evolved to look at the whole planet, um, but we need to. You know, so I'm kind of grateful to have the Kabbalists help us with that, you know, by imagining that, you know, by, by giving us a thought structure for thinking about that actually we're all, it's all connected. And if we're not praying, if, we're, if our prayer is only for ourselves, are only for our personal needs and not for the needs of the whole, you know, the whole uh, organism, you know, for, or the whole, uh, you know, ecosystem. And then what good is our prayer? Because, you know, there are all kinds of things that are going to impact on us that we won't understand because we haven't even, we haven't looked at, you know, what the world is, uh, you know, what the world is saying to us. So, you know, when I read these texts, you know, that's what I see in them. You know, is that we need this wisdom so much now, you know, that we should understand that we're part, that the Shekhinah mm-hmm. is part of the energies of this, of this world. And, you know, no, you know, giants is going to reach down and rescue us from the world that we are creating. Amen. Yeah. Uh, is there, um, I've been thinking about Shemitah a little bit mm. because uh, there's, I think there's some energy around that now. Right? Mm-hmm. Is there, is there a Kabbalistic view or a, are we getting into that, or is that? Well, I um, I'll say a little bit. We actually have to have to have to stop soon, but I'll say a little bit about it. So, of course, in the Kabbalah, the Shemitah is Shekhinah. Right? It's the seventh year. So she's everything, right? She's and the Jubilee, right? The fiftieth year is Bina, is the is the upper mother. Right. So uh, right. So the Shekhinah is the Shemitah, and the Jubilee, the Yovel, is is uh, is the Ima Ilah, is Bina. So that is her one of her embodiments in time is the is the shemitah. Uh, so uh, for anyone who's not familiar with this concept, this is the sabbatical year during which the land was let lie fallow, uh, nothing was grown. People lived on what they'd saved up or what they could sort of gather off the raspberry bushes, um, and um, it was a way of the land for the land to recover itself. And it was also a time when if you had indentured servants, you had to let them go free. Like there was a whole. Um, was a whole societal, and debts had to be forgiven, there was a whole societal thing that happened, at least according to the book of Leviticus. So around the, the Jubilee. Jubilee year follows it? Or no, the Jubilee the year is every 50 seven years. Times every seven cycles of Shemitah. Do we Shemitah? have one coming? No. We have a Shemitah. Shemitah. A Shemitah. We have a Shemitah, Shemitah year, year coming. coming. I know that. Yeah. Um, we've actually lost the Yovel. We don't know when it is. Yeah, we, uh, the Jews lost the Yovel. <laughs> <laughs> We need, it, we, we need it back, actually. And oh, and also, you're all, all people have to return to their tribal land like on the, on the wow. Yovel. So actually, we should get it back. We should let all the indigenous people return to their land and see what that happens. The new moon is coming into milliseconds, but we can't figure out when every 50 years is? Because it's not based on any natural cycle, and they just lost what it is. You know, they just, they just lost it. Go talk to the rabbis. I'm not happy about it either. But... Um, 
Um, but some people are saying right, the Shemitah is a really important model for what we should be doing with our world. You know, we have to let things, this thing about growth, let's grow more, let's grow more, let's make more things, let's, you know, let's get bigger and bigger. This is actually not the way we should be thinking about our planet. This is a finite planet. Uh, so the idea that you should take, you know, a period of time to let things just be, terrific mm -hmm. idea. You know, it may not necessarily look like the biblical practice, but uh, it'd be a really important thing to do. And also the sense of freeing people, right? You know, we have whole countries that are, you know, snowed under in mountains of debt, you know, and we'll never get out of it. You know, they're never going to pay off this debt. And so what do you do about a circumstance like that? You know, we have debt, debt forgiveness, but, you know, they also understood the economics of, you know, of how to balance, you know, so that everybody had something. Maybe not everybody had the same, but everybody had something. You know, that was how they understood that the economics of tribal life was supposed to work. Um, you know, we don't do that as much as we should either. Um, where are we? Yikes. Okay. So I want to close this um, by reading a poem. I should say, I, so I should say there are lots of, Judith already alluded to this, there are lots of modern people who are working with these texts who are like Chazon, right, like Isabel Friedman and the Adama program, um, like Kohenet uh, and like um, Gershon Winkler's organization, Walking Stick, um, who are, and um, uh, Ruach HaAretz and um, the Adventure Rabbi out in the, out in the far west, um, you know, who's taking Jews out into the wilderness to do a ritual with them. So there's lots of people working with this, you know, with this tradition of finding God in the earth and in the, you know, and in the physical world. Um, but I wanted to read, this is a poem, it's called What is in the Goddesses to Fill in? Um, and it's, uh, I wrote it. Um, and it's uh, based on, there's a Talmudic text that says that not only do the people of Israel wear tefillin, right, tefillin are the little black right, boxes with text inside them, but God wears them also. And what does God put in God's, in his tefillin? God puts in um, the verse that says, Mika Amcha Yisrael Goy right? So we put in our tefillin that God is unique, and God puts in God's tefillin that we're unique, right? That, uh, right, who is like you, O Israel, one nation in all the earth? Um, so I was really fascinated by this. Because tefillin are physical objects. You know, what does it mean to say that God wears tefillin? So I was writing about the Shekhinah, so I called this poem, What is in the Goddesses Tefillin? I'm so sorry. That's okay. I'm going to wait till you're... Uh, I'm so sorry. That's all right. Okay. That's okay. So this is actually in your packet, but you don't have to look. I'll just, I'll read it to you. Just, this is actually just part of it. One. So the question, so these are all answers to the question, what is in, what is in this divine tefillin? One, a tendril from a grapevine. One grape clinging like a jewel. A stone from a funeral. Hide from a tambourine. The bag of a weary midwife. Wicks of Sabbath candles, ink of burst berries, ground antlers, flood water from a submerged city, seed from a barley harvest, emptiness of famine, sugarcane, quartz crystal, sun, a parchment, 
Who is like your people, one nation in all the earth? Two. Nothing. No words. Nothing. Blackness. Blackness. Stars. Three. An Orphic hymn. Creator of the world, diversity of the sea, you are the great fullness and you alone give birth. Four. And who is like you, O oh my people, who bind your stories to your arms? I, too, tie my story to the parabolic curves of my body, my physics like an alphabet. Five. Do not think I have remembered. You must recover me from the tar pits of the years. Bind me as a sign upon your hand. Let me be an ornament between your eyes. My temple is in the glands and synapses of your body. Remember. We're so close to ending that I think that will be our meditation for tonight. Um, but we have a few minutes. And um, thank you for letting me share that. It's an important poem. And, uh, and it's still continuing. Like this, you know, this exploration is still, you know, is still present. And uh, there's so much more to be said, not only on this topic, but on this entire course. There's, uh, this, is a, this is a vast forest of, of stuff. Is this your last class? Yeah. So I really want to take the next five minutes uh, to ask people if, um, yeah, we have five minutes, um, to ask you, uh, so what has this been for you? Like what is, you know, what did you, what have you, what have you grokked over, <laughs> you know, what have you uh, integrated over the last eight, you know, eight sessions that we've been together? I'm just curious to know, like how is this affected you, not affected you? What questions are you asking? What do you want to know more about? What has shifted for you? I'm curious. Um, one idea for me, uh, a, a sense, I think many beings think of whatever they consider divine. Femaleness would in some way be part of that. That's simply natural for human beings. And despite the best efforts of the originators of this monotheist tradition, it could not be extinguished. You know, it, it could be held at bay, certainly, but it could not be extinguished, not because anything's wrong or right, but because no sense of human holiness is complete without both, um, you know, what we consider to be male and female, you know, that particular duality. And I don't see the tradition in any way damaged or less, on, on the contrary, to me, the tradition looks strengthened by the inclusion of that. Um, and so, I'm, I'm, since I knew nothing about it, I'm delighted to be more educated mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Shane. Anybody else? It's reawakened in me um, feelings that I've had growing up in a Jewish home that I could never ask about, but always felt that it was really pertinent in my practice. So it gave me validation mm. for the things that I thought were right. Mm. Um, yeah. And it's bringing me back to prayer mm. as well. Mm. Thank you, Lilia. Thank you. 
desperation almost, like, a, you know, it feels, um, because there, there has been some sense of some brokenness around male and female, um, and especially that it is, it, it, in the biblical, you know, stories and narrative, um, there's so, so little, um, to glean from, and yet the Zohar and other tradition in, in our tradition has, is so rich with it, and it feels like there's a little bit of a reformation, a little bit of a unification, a little mm -hmm. bit of a, you know, and so it feels more whole, it feels more, um, unified, um, so for me, it, um, you know, it, it feels very good, it feels like a reclamation, you know, reclaiming. Mm -hmm. Um, try to uh, say this. It, for me, I I've been away from the practice of religion for such a long time until I came to uh, Romamu and started saying, "Wow, I like this. Okay, now I want to know what is this. What does this all mean?" Because I had there was a point in my life when I loved religion. And then there was a point when I started questioning, and the questions weren't valid for me. And instead of seeking, I walked away from it, saying, this is no good. And coming coming here and putting it together, the, the female part of it, but not only that, it's, uh, I, Rabbi David said something which was very interesting. He said, if you can't, if you teach it on Sunday, you've got to live it on Monday. So I'm paraphrasing badly. And there are a million things, and a million, there are many things I glean from here. Um, for example, the individual. I very much lived the individual life. It was, you know, it was about, it was centered around me, my family. Not that I wasn't a giving person, but it was really more, I'm thinking much more in the larger sense, in the, in this web of weaving the prayers, it makes sense to me now. But if you said that to me two years ago, I would have looked at you and said, are you crazy? So it's just opening up so many doors. And there are so many levels where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is, this is amazing. And it's just bringing it to my, to my life on, on Monday. <laughs> this is Monday. But it's, um, I carry it with me, and I want to live that life. Now, so thank you. Thank you. Time for one more, if there is one more. I can say, uh -huh. you no, know, I wasn't here most of the time, but I was just thinking for tonight that it came from the idea that when we pray for the Shekhinah, it's such a mutual thing that open kind of prayer that it's it's praying for us. So there's some mm -hmm. kind of answering mm -hmm. that felt mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so for me, it feels a little like. Uh, Fusion. So it feels a little like we there's this standard Jewish knowledge base mm. that we've grown up with. And then there's this rich, gorgeous, necessary, impressive, exciting um, alternate mm. side of this learning. Mm. And it's... Um, the rush to that, that's the diffusion I'm thinking, the rush to the excitement is the rush to make sure you're at shul early, or the rush to make sure that you're, um, you're, you're learning about the Shekhinah, 
or, or the rush that, that recognizes the Zohar's the, the value of Zoharic knowledge as, a, as sacredness, or the rush to just alternative perspective. It's just like it's just a tiny little shift, and that is the uh, um, <coughs> and that's what you bring to the world, and that's what I think elevates, and that's and that's Rome was a shul is that as well, and that is the uh, uh, and that's what and that's and that's what I feel in this you know in this whole endeavor, and it's insatiable. I know we only have a second, so I just want oh, to comment please. on how welcoming it is for me. Mm -hmm. It's just my heart. In my heart, I feel just a really nice welcome of her and my belief. Mm -hmm. oh, great. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for taking this journey. Oh, mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But we don't want it to stop. So, <laughs> right. so like, what, how does it, be, you know... I don't know if I'll be here, but how does it continue? Well, I don't know what I'm teaching in the fall, but I am teaching in the fall. So okay. people should please come back. I would yes. love to learn with you again. Um, I may be offering some online classes. If I am, I'll let you know. And, uh, yeah, though there, there's always more. There's always more. Is it true you may be taking a trip to Israel? Um, not, a trip to Israel? Not, not, no. That's oh. a rumor. I, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's one I heard. Interesting. I, I, I can offer something that's kind of interesting. Yeah. But I do, I do want to say that uh, <laughs> that I understand that it's possible that there's going to be a, a string of organization within the uh, uh, adult education next year that's going to be built around Shemitah. Oh, and I know, nice. So it could be, so it, maybe you cool. won't even teach in that um, Shemitah space. That's lovely. Beautiful. Yeah, Comes from someone on the adult head. In my body, in my spirit, in my soul.